Welcome to the LSI Behind the Wind podcast. I'm Sean Slatter. For 30 years, I've dedicated my life to the science of business development. I've seen the impact of our work, which has evolved into economic development and now social impact. I'm really excited about this episode. I've asked one of the world's best proposal managers, Alan Belichico, to to join me. I've worked with a lot of proposal executives over the last 30 years, and I can tell you that Alan is uh, one of the finest proposal executives I've ever had the opportunity to work with. He's worked thousands of proposals and, and has been very successful in his role as a senior proposal lead for LSI and for a lot of other companies. Alan, I appreciate you joining me. And to start, would you just give a little history on your background, uh, your service with the Navy, and then how did you <laughs> how did you start this path of proposal development? Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, well, thanks for having me today. I kind of look forward to this discussion. My background, the, the short version of the long story, is that I uh, got a degree in engineering, uh, joined the Navy, and did a lot of uh, engineering and operations, uh, electronics sort of things for uh, eight years. And then I got out and went to work for Northrop Grumman, where I stayed for uh, 20 years to the date. Started out as a uh, task manager on a large contract uh, supporting uh, Seawolf submarines. And by the time I left, I had been the division director for uh, three different divisions, which, uh, you know, averaged somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 million worth of annual revenue. And then, uh, of course, as you do that, you're constantly involved in the proposal process whether it's, you know, managing the pipeline to, you know, positioning the team to do well, to uh, actually, you know, executing the proposal. After Northrop Grumman, I went small where we had a lot of opportunity to do additional proposals. And I had one run where we won 100% of our uh, proposals for uh, the entire time I was there. I, I don't attribute that to myself. I attribute that to the great work this company did. But we added, you know, for a small business, we added $625 million to the uh, backlog. That's huge. Then I decided to kind of retire-ish. And I've been doing proposals now all day, every day for what, nine years. Yes. Yeah. And I love that you said, yeah, I, I was going to retire. And yet you're working 80 hours a week for us leading a, uh, multiple proposals. That's, that's your idea of retirement. I love it. <laughs> well, you got to do something you enjoy. <laughs> Let me, I've got a lot of questions for you. Let me ask you this. So many really good proposal managers have an engineering background. I, I mean, you've seen this. We've got a lot of, of really exceptional proposal managers and they seem to have this engineering background. What is it about your engineering foundation that you think has made you such an exceptional proposal manager? Oh, that's easy. Process orientation. Right. Uh, you know, this business is a list maker's paradise. <laughs> 
So tell me your thinking uh, like an engineer when you're going through a requirements document or an, an RFP. Sure, sure. Well, you know, the, the first thing that has to happen is uh, you got to lay the foundation. There has been a lot of studies and it's been determined that the, the vast majority of people who are not successful with their proposals have compliance issues. And, and that starts day one, as you kind of lay your foundation, you go through the RFP, you digest it. Nobody can start until you as the proposal manager have done several things to kind of lay that foundation. So you make sure everybody's on the same page, you know, such as you, you, you prepare the outline. And uh, as you well know, there's some amount of judgment involved in this. So uh, you, you've got to follow the requirements. You got to understand the requirements. You got to identify those things that you maybe need to ask questions about to get clarity. And asking a question isn't always about you don't understand. Sometimes it's trying to drive a specific answer. You, you want a different answer. So you ask the question to try to achieve that. And then, you know, you, you lay out your schedule, which kind of gets the whole team on board. And it's gets to be real important to have a solid kickoff. Everybody needs to get on the same page. When you work proposals, everybody's done a proposal. Just ask them. And if you <laughs> ask most of them, they're experts. Yeah, exactly. But the reality is no two people do it exactly the same. They, they do it similar, but they have different names and processes. So you, you need to synchronize the team on this proposal, here is how we're going to do it. I think that you're right, that having a solid process, looking at what your objective is, what are the milestones, and, and working against a, a deadline and that you stick to it is, is so critical, and you're so good at that. You're, you, I mean, a lot of this, I think you'll agree, is discipline. Mm-hmm. Yes. We've seen really creative, strong business development minds that cannot write proposals because they have no discipline. They have no commitment to sticking to a schedule, to ensuring that the process is met. That really comes back to, to discipline, which is you're so amazing at this. So you're so good at it. And you can, you know, one of the things that I love about your work is that you can determine early on, is this going to fly or not? And that you're flexible and you can make changes quickly so that you can hit those deadlines and, and make those deliverables. And I, I mean, it's, it, there's a lot of moving parts in these proposals as, as you know. Alan, one of the, the topics that I want to explore with you is you've been doing this for a long time now, and a lot of your career has been about business development, even uh, when you were at Northrop for uh, all of those years. Can you talk about how you've seen the changes in our industry and the approach to proposal development how that's changed in the last uh, 20 years or even in the last 10 years. I, I mean, you, you've, we've seen a lot of changes in the last 10 years. Talk about some of the changes that you see on the front lines as a proposal manager. Sure. 
Well, one of the things that I would say first off is a lot of the things I'm going to talk about are not necessarily new, but what has changed is the propensity at which they use them. For example, the first item is multi-step procurements. Yes. Uh, you know, that, that didn't get invented yesterday. However, uh, you're seeing more and more of these multi-step procurements because um, particularly in the IT world, a lot of contracts have failed. So the clients are looking for ways to better assess um, the, their risk. And that typically involves, okay, let's do a written proposal. Let's do an interview. Let's do a demo. And um, demos are much more prevalent than uh, before. So the, the process has changed. And I think for the better, it's more work. There's more BNP. But I think the customer's probably able to make a better decision because they've got uh, the information that uh, helps them understand what your capabilities are relevant to their needs. Also see a better understanding of best value. You know, best value is certainly not a new thing, but you could uh, get a, a government contracting officer and a government PM in a room and they could argue for hours on end, if not come to fisticuffs over the definition of best value. You know, the, the contracting officer say, well, it's the cheapest guy. He's the best value. And the PM says, no, it's the guy who knows what I need and how to do it. And he's got experience doing it. That's the best value. Right. Uh, I think they've th that has kind of grown into a mutual understanding that, you know, best value is the company that's able to meet the requirements. You know, they bring experience, so that lowers the risk. They possibly have some tools or experience that's unique that, you know, really sets them apart from the competitive field. So I think the definition of best value has, has really gotten better. Evaluation criteria has gotten better. You know, you used to read a uh, section L and it would require five different things that you had to address in your proposal. Then you go over to M and they've got four different things you've got to address and none of them are the same. <laughs> That's right. So now you're getting to the point where usually more of them than not are the same, but it, it, we still haven't quite got there where everything is the same, but it, it is significantly better. And of course, the approach is pretty simple. You address everything. You address all the L and all the M. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that, that's pretty simple. Another trend that I uh, would mention, I think the government has gotten more comfortable with small business. I think they have seen that, you know, uh, executives with lots of experience have migrated from large businesses to small businesses. So they bring a sophisticated level of understanding. They bring a more detailed oriented uh, process approach. And subsequently, yeah, I've seen larger uh, awards going to small businesses. The single largest one I've ever led in one was uh, 500 million. It's unbelievable. For a small business. Another thing is uh, clients are starting, some clients are starting to use software to evaluate proposals. And uh, that kind of changes the dynamic. Uh, you know, there's the old saying in the industry, proposals aren't read, they're uh, evaluated. Well, th that accentuates that belief to the T. So subsequently, there's a, a mandate to make sure your information jumps off the page. 
Now, after the machine goes through and evaluates your proposal, the reviewer is supposed to go back through and validate and substantiate, you know, some of the grading that software created. But, you know, uh, we've all seen in our career the, uh, the inevitable lazy reviewer. <laughs> so uh, you need to be prepared for the worst case basis. And that, that proposal needs to sell itself. If you've got to explain, you know, I've seen this dozens of times where um, you go to a, a red team or a gold team review and somebody says, um, well, geez, you didn't talk about this. And then the uh, author wants to stand up and argue. Well, yes, I did. Well, the answer is pretty obvious. It wasn't clear. Yeah, all right. So let's take what you wrote about and make it clearer. So, um, this software is uh, kind of interesting. You see particularly a lot of that in the Intel world. And then last but not least, I would say protest has certainly been a huge game changer in the industry. I think we all remember the day when uh, thou shalt not protest uh, because the agency will never deal with you again. And then even if you did, your chances of successfully uh, prevailing were you know, in a small single digit percentile. Whereas now people are protesting left and right. And I would say a lot of them are prevailing. And even if they're not prevailing, they are getting the government to make changes and then reissue the procurement. On that one with the 500 million, uh, we had been working this for a year because this was a, a must win. And we, we just felt really good. And we're just days away from handing it in. And I had one of those epiphanies. Oh my God, you know what my worst nightmare would be? Having to redo this multiple times. Well, <laughs> it, it happened. Four times. Four times. Uh, there were nine protests filed. They canceled the RFP, reissued it, and then they uh, made major adjustments to the RFP that was out that required another proposal to be submitted. So protesting has definitely changed the landscape. People are not afraid to uh, file one. They are not afraid to file one uh, pre-award if they think the government's heading in the wrong direction. And they certainly wouldn't say they're winning all of them by any chance, but they're winning more than they ever have before, you know, when you start looking at the stats from, you know, 10 years ago. Now, I agree. I see that as well. We recently hired uh, a senior acquisition and contracting executive out of DOD, an individual named Chris Wegner. And in talking with Chris, he's seen similar trends on the other side, uh, on the government side. He had an interesting comment uh, in my question to him that we've always had internally, we've always advised our our clients not to protest, no matter what. And he said, as a, a contracting and acquisition leader, he did, never had a problem with a company protesting if they had real merit. And in fact, he, he overturned some awards going through these arguments if it, if it was really valid. He said what, what always frustrated him was, the contractor that was seventh, <laughs> seventh, you know, seventh in the evaluation process and had no chance of winning and just 
protesting for protesting's sake. And and I think you and I have seen this a lot in the last few years that there is some of these frivolous protests that that are occurring. Alan, one of the things that I think have changed significantly is the customers who are putting out RFPs with a limited uh, page limit on these proposals that may be 30 pages. I'm in Washington, D.C. this week and have met with a lot of clients, and they, they many of them have asked me about how do we effectively tell our story, especially if it's a, a complex story, how can we pack this message into a 30-page document with limited real estate on these pages? I met with a client this week who we've worked with for a lot of years, and he we were reminiscing about a large proposal we worked for this client. We worked on this proposal for two years. We had over 20 LSI people on this proposal that was so large, so complex, so technical, and we really bonded with this client like you do in in those kinds of engagements. He said he's looking at a similar opportunity. The entire proposal, all volumes, pricing, contract, the past performance, and the technical volumes are 50 pages for the entire proposal. (laughs) And this is a multi-billion dollar opportunity. How do you approach those kinds of RFPs, when you see this and you're, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I've got so much, so much to tell and it's complex, how do I fit that into a 30 or 50 page document? Well, that, uh, that approach is easy to deal with after you've had many sleepless nights uh, agonizing over that very question. The worst one I've had was a 65 million IT one that was limited to 10 pages. (laughs) And then, of course, there was a 50 page statement of work. And in each major section said, explain how you're going to do this for all the elements in the uh, statement of work. So uh, the answer got to be pretty simple. (laughs) The only way we were going to be able to do that wasn't via text. It was going to take graphics that had like con ops that, you know, could tell the story. So you had to put a lot into it, but it couldn't be so complicated that uh, people couldn't figure it out. So we, we just put an extreme amount of attention, you know, something like a con ops could be, you know, that uh, Hallmark graphic that kind of tells your whole story. And, and I like what I call the Hallmark graphic in every proposal. I want a uh, PM to rip that graphic out and pin it to the wall in his cube. And during the execution of the contract, they're gonna constantly make reference to it. Well, this is how they're doing the, the process. So that was very key. And then the other one is tables. When they say, you know, explain how your approach for everything in the um, statement of work, there's just no way you can talk to that. So you need a table, you need to hit aggregate to the highest level possible that statement of work and then just put down a few sentences in the table about how you're going to address that particular element. I lost sleep after that uh, thinking, 
that is as close to a non-compliant proposal I've ever turned in, but we prevailed in one. <laughs> of course you did. Well, and we've had this conversation b- before. My every proposal that uh, I've led or that I've had influence over, my strategy has always been I want to see good artwork on every page. And I've, mm-hmm. I've had this belief that these source selection authority executives that are assigned to make the decision, the award decision, they are extremely busy. They have limited bandwidth. And I know that they're not going to read thousands of pages. But if they are looking at a document in a, the, the way they would look through a magazine and pulling out key elements, factors that are compliant to the document, to the RFP, that's going to help. And I'm, and believe me, I'm not saying <laughs> my, my advice isn't that, yeah, you don't need a, you don't need good text because you do. It's, it's, it's critical. Somebody's, somebody's going to pull something out. If it's not compliant, you're, you're going to be thrown out, but to have good graphics that are re- that are impactful and good artwork on every page uh, really could can uh, increase your win rates uh, in submitting these memorable, winning, and compliant proposals. Uh, let me agree and just add a tidbit more. You know, the, the, the graphic, the old adage is true, a picture's worth a thousand words. But when a reviewer who's going through possibly hundreds of pages on multiple proposals, it all starts to blend together. So when they flip to a page, the eye goes to what's different, and that's the artwork. And they're going to scan it for a couple of seconds, and either they get it or they don't. Then they're going to drop down to the caption and get the so what? Why do I care about this graphic? And then they're going to start reading the text where it's not going to explain, explain what the graphic is, but it's going to talk about the advantages of that process or, you know, that object in the graphic. So when you put a graphic on every page, you're giving yourself three chances to talk about the most important thing. I love that. And I absolutely agree. Alan, as, as we've seen customers move to a more uh, limited proposal where they're putting out a section L of the RFP with a 30-page limit or 50-page technical volume. One of the things that we have advised our clients is that your capture work, your capture strategy, and your capture plan are so critical. As a proposal manager, how do you leverage the capture strategy, the capture plan, and the relationships of the capture team as you start working these proposals? I couldn't agree more that that is critical to teeing up success. If they haven't done the work, you've got to dig yourself out of a hole that you might not get out of. But, you know, the reality is you need to have an approach. You need to have vetted that with the customer and gotten feedback that that is, in fact, uh, something they would respond to. You need to know who the source selection officials are and, in fact, what are their hot buttons. 
You know, you don't want to go in and talk about management, management, management when the key decision makers all focused on technology. Right. Um, so if, if you don't understand that landscape, you're shooting in the dark, which subsequently impacts your win rate. <laughs> you know, that that is, I think, one of the large challenges of any company looking at new business and making bid decisions. So often I see companies that are investing in opportunities where they have a low probability of win because they don't have a relationship with the customer. They don't have an understanding of the customer's requirements and and needs. And the customer doesn't understand up front, prior to the document going in, the customer doesn't understand the capability of their contractor, their sub subcontractor, their vendor, what, whatever. And because of that, we and we see this all the time. We see our clients wasting a lot of money and time pursuing these opportunities with a low probability of win. When I was at Northrop, what I used to tell my staff when I was a division director is, you know how you get your win rate up? You learn how to say no. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly right. And that's hard to do. And especially if you're a business development executive and you have a target and it's dependent upon your performance evaluation or your incentive compensation, or in some cases, your the share price of your company. I, I mean, that that's a lot of pressure for an executive to say, no, we're going to walk away from this. We're, we have the discipline and we've looked at this and, and have, have decided we've got a low probability of win and we're not going to do it. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. There's an old adage uh, you hear often, which is just silly, is, uh, oh, we're going to throw a proposal in just so they know who we are. <laughs> you know, I mentioned to you, I was at a small business and we had 100% win rate. And that's because we had a pretty simple philosophy. We're only going to bid the ones we can win. So we're going to go through everything that's a candidate. We're going to narrow it down to a few and we're going to work it around the clock long before it comes out. And the success that we had is we were a small business and we went against, I won't mention the company's name, but it's one of those really big defense companies that's got, uh, you know, many, many uh, billion dollars worth of annual revenue. (laughs) But and they were the incumbent, I might add. But what we did is we did the capture work that you talked about. (laughs) We we got in front of the customer. We made sure they knew who we were. We demoed our product. We um, met with them at every opportunity we had at, you know, professional associations, things like that. We test drove some of our concepts. We invited them to our facility. Uh, where we did production on, on major integrated systems. And then the, the reality was, I think at the time, our annual revenue was about a hundred million. And we uh, took this away from one of those really, really big companies, which was kind of a hallmark in their uh, portfolio for this group. That's huge. And uh, I, love, I love those kinds of stories. And it's, especially when you see a solid strategy. There's a great capture strategy, a, ca- a capture plan. 
fantastic proposal. You're telling the story and it's familiar to the customer. When the customer's reading this, they see that we really listened to their needs and we we were able to compile and respond to their requirements and that we through our relationship with the customer and that we told the story well we built a solution and told this story well and there is nothing more fun in our business than than that kind of win alan you've you over the years you've worked with a lot of capture managers can you talk about how you use a capture manager in your proposal uh, strategy, building win themes, and then delivering a winning pr- proposal. I, there's a lot of, I see a lot of proposal managers that don't do this well. You are exceptional at this. Well, you know, kind of like we were just talking, that the capture manager's got to be plugged in at the hip to the client. They need to understand what their concerns are, you know, what their future looks like. Why are they doing this procurement? And it better not be something you read on the first paragraph of the RFP. You need to understand details behind the decision to have this procurement. And um, if you don't have that information, it's really hard to resonate with the client when you're trying to answer the solicitation. Then another thing a capture manager has got to do is they must solution against that expected uh, requirement, set of requirements. I'm sure we're all familiar with the term MSU, uh, making stuff up. (laughs) Yep. If the capture team hasn't done their homework and done the solutioning, authors that get tasked to give you 10 pages on subject XYZ are going to give you 10 pages. Either they can take that solution the team has jointly developed and agreed to and has integrated across the entire document and then develop it further in their 10 pages, or they're going to bring you 10 pages of stuff they made up. (laughs) You're going to get your 10 pages. It's uh, how good it is, is the issue. I think a lot of of times we see proposal managers clashing with capture managers. And we've done a lot of analysis behind this. And it is a different personality. A lot of the proposal managers are disciplined, are process driven. A lot of capture managers are are not. They're very creative. They're very, they're extroverts and they, they want to they, they like the, the relationship side of the business. And we've always tried to convey the importance of the capture manager and the proposal manager working in lockstep as a team, as advocates for each other to be effective. And I, I've seen so many times when that just, it, it doesn't happen, that there's a there's a disconnect between on both sides between the capture manager and the proposal manager and and when that happens either the and is typically the case the 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 capture manager is not conveying 
the right information to the proposal manager to help them be successful, and, and it's a problem. Yeah, uh, to add to that a little bit, you're absolutely right. You got the left brain, right brain personalities in play. <laughs> and uh, and sometimes it's just that. It's just personality that's causing the conflict as opposed to the different roles. I have seen more success when you start the proposal team early. A lot of people don't want to spend the BMP and they want to wait till the final RFP is dropped. And then the capture manager gets a little resentful. Hey, this is my baby. You're walking in. You want to be in charge of all the big decisions. No, thank you. Whereas if you bring that proposal team in and they've got time to get acclimated to what the, the value proposition, the uh, capture team offers, and then you guys are familiar with each other as opposed to just being thrown into a room and said, go. Those efforts have been much, much more successful. And you can identify gaps early on, gaps in in the decision chain, who really owns the decision, who is influencing the decision makers, what are their key requirements for this uh, this procurement and, and what's driving their decision-making and their personality in general. I mean, that so often we see capture managers, even really mature, exceptional capture managers, that they're spending time with the customer. They're trying to build this relationship. They're not getting to these key elements and when, and which will become win themes of the proposal. Alan, we've, we've talked a lot about uh, some of the strategic elements of this, but uh, of this work, uh, proposal development, but I want to shift for a minute to some really tactical things. Uh, one of the challenges that you brought up, and this is with every proposal, is what do you do if you have a gap? When you don't have that information, how do you go about, and especially if you have a limited amount of time and the capture work hasn't come up, hasn't been done, or there's something that's unique that the team has pulled out of the PWS or the requirements document, how, how do you go about getting information that you that you need to be successful that you don't have? Well, that's a that's obviously a big challenge because the clock is ticking by that time. I, I think the first thing you've got to do is assess your resources you get on the team. A lot of the uh, subcontracts, uh, subcontractors, you know, have staff that maybe in a prior life may have lived at an agency. Consultants. It doesn't take long to find and lock down a, a good consultant when you're late to the game. You know, a lot of the, the best of the best are already off the street. Right. But, you know, some information's better than no information. And then um, it's just important not to fall suit to the obvious. Do not sit there on the Internet and do some web searches. That's just a waste of everybody's time. That's I, I love that. <laughs> one of the things that you need to do when you see these big holes is you need to get everybody back in the room and uh, revisit the solutioning they think they may have already done. 
you know, back to the left brain, right brain, you know, the, the capture team might have thought, well, you know, here are the five things that we've discussed with the client and the answer. Yeah, but the requirement has eight. Let's talk about these other three. And then even at that point, sometimes they might recall things from their capture work that they hadn't bothered to document and or they may still have relationships. You know, you obviously can't call a client during a procurement, but there may be people they can call that could help them with that. I used to have a relationship when I was doing a big procurement with a competitor and we used to call and talk daily and we call it swapping lies. Um, you know, I, I was never going to tell him anything that uh, would help his chances and he wasn't going to do the same for me, but there might be little tidbits of information in there where, uh, they knew something I didn't and he was willing to give, you know, I always understood I needed to give a little to get a little. So that, that's another tactic. I love it. And I think tangent to this challenge, which it it's every proposal, right? Every proposal, the team is going to find some knit in the requirements that we may not have the answer to and or that it's not a solid or obvious uh, answer to, to this. And I think what can be really overwhelming for a lot of good proposal executives is, and, and capture executives for that matter, is working a technical solution, telling a story that is very technical. And, you know, maybe there's a, a lot of science and physics behind it. And I think uh, you're so good at this because you have this broad foundation and you come from a technical background, but what advice do you have for our team and, and our clients where they're working technical documents that are, are really complex, that are over their head? I mean, it, you've been in these situations where you're working a physics or some science solution that is is very complex. How do you deal with that? Well, first thing you do is you revisit your bid, no bid decision. <laughs> if it's out of your wheelhouse and you don't bring anything special to the client, I don't know how you expect to prevail when in fact there are going to be multiple competitors that do this all the time. The second thing is there's expertise out there. You got to find it and get access to it as fast as you can. And in fact, when you talk about the uh, highly technical proposals, uh, you got to pull out that M criteria and you've got to identify what are those things that are going to be evaluated as significant strengths. You know, you, you're not going to win because you've got a program manager everybody likes. You know, you, you've got to have a solution that's going to solve problems for that client. And if you don't line up well against that evaluation criteria with significant strengths, you know, your, your P-win goes down order of magnitude. I agree. This week, we had a conversation with a client, and th this was a real conversation. The client wanted, they said, we've got a big opportunity. The RFP's about two months out. We need you to bring in 
uh, proposal team. The proposal manager must have had experience in this. It was a inertial navigation system. They must know the customer that was is a very obscure customer in this agency. And they also, we've got a requirement that they know this specific system that the equipment is is going to be installed in. And I said, that that person doesn't exist. And they they said, what do, what do you mean? And what are you going to do? And I said, what we're going to do is we're going to bring in a very good proposal manager that is disciplined. We're going to bring in subject matter experts and writers where the, these SMEs are going to tell the story that the writers are going to capture that story and that the proposal manager will assimilate this. And they said, well, isn't that going to be expensive? I said, no, it's actually, it's going to be more efficient than trying to find this unicorn out there that have all of this criteria. It just, that doesn't exist. Bringing in the scientists, the, the subject matter experts who can work collaboratively and we're buying a few hours from these SMEs and then having the writers tell this story and the proposal manager assimilating this is how this is going to happen. And it's this often is a challenge with, with a highly technical opportunity where, where our clients have this idea, well, find me a find me somebody that speaks arabic and knows this knows this nuclear system and it oftentimes that's that that doesn't exist i uh, started this business out with a competitor and they had very formal training and uh, one day i said well wait a minute you're going to throw me out on any proposal i'm a navy guy you put me on a uh, contract to build tanks Right. You know, what's the likelihood that I can be successful in that environment? And the answer was pretty straightforward, very high, because what we find is you you know what you don't know and you work harder to make sure that you're compliant and that all the different piece parts fit as opposed to somebody who might know it and just kind of make some assumptions because it's uh, all well known to them. I totally agree. I think that's why we've been so successful. It's why you've been really successful is that you know oftentimes going into a an opportunity that has a very complex technical requirements document or, or PWS that where we're going to need uh, the right subject matter experts. You're so good at identifying that early, bringing the team together and and then writing a successful document. It's just, it's, uh, it's remarkable. Alan, let me ask you this. Um, what advice do you have for a proposal manager or, or even a, a member of the team that is new to this business? And I mean, we see this a lot with our clients who will bring in maybe either a subject matter expert or their former customer, we often see that, 
they really are not adept at uh, proposal management or, or being a part of a, a proposal team. Do you have advice for someone in that position and how they can be successful? Sure, sure. There are two kinds of proposal managers in industry. One is uh, what I call a, a checklist person. I've got my checklist and I, I need to get all these piece parts. I collect them up and take them to pink team and then on and on. If that's your approach, go find another job. <laughs> the uh, other kind of proposal manager is one who takes ownership of the content. I may not be a subject matter expert, but I better I better be able to read the proposal and understand it because if I can't, then the evaluators can't. And then as I understand it, I need to be able to make sure that, you know, uh, it's presented in such a way that it uh, is compelling. And one of the ways to achieve that is iteration. Yes. If as the proposal manager, you haven't read every stinking page at least three times before it gets to a color team, shame on you. Because every time you're going to read it, you're going to find something. Oh, wait a minute. You didn't talk about this requirement. Oh, wait a minute. The guy in the other section said something different. So that iteration is how you make a, a good proposal great. I That is such great advice. I, I had a a recent conversation with a client and he said, our objective is, is to build a compliant proposal. And I said, no, your objective is to build a winning proposal. And that, that's a very different task. So mm -hmm. Alan, I've got a lot of other things that I want to discuss with you. And as, as usual, I'm, this conversation has been tremendous and, uh, and I'm out of time, but I, I'd like to talk with you at another time about some other things like light color team reviews, managing and the discipline of uh, various color teams. And, and I also want to talk about technology. And maybe, maybe this is a good place to close. In the last two years, we really, the industry was, was migrating to this uh, state anyway, but in the last two years, we have worked very few proposals on site. The, the teams have been virtual. The, the, unless it was a classified document that needed to be work in, worked inside a SCIF, there's been very few proposal engagements that we have worked that have been in, in person. How has that impacted you and and what's your thoughts on proposal management that is a hundred percent virtual before the pandemic my philosophy is pretty simple i needed to be in the war room and i wanted as many other people as i could get in there so that we could have that constant collaboration you could absorb stuff just simply by being present uh, with the COVID, i've obviously adapted that belief and what's driven that are tools, you know, Zoom and Teams. And I'm a big fan of Teams. It now allows you that constant connectivity to multiple team members between the chat and the video conference or the calls. You know, in a war room, I could talk to a particular author 
10 times a day, you know, just something, they have a question, I have a question, issue comes up, whatever. I can do that just as easily with these new set of tools as I could before. So why don't we do this? Uh, we will schedule some time to, to talk about reviews and color teams and, and technology, because I'm really fascinated with how you are leading teams, interfacing with a capture manager or a capture team through technology. And so we'll, we'll do that at another time. Alan, this has been, as usual, it's a, I just love uh, your insight. And uh, as I said, I think you're one of the finest proposal managers in, in, in the world. And uh, I'm so uh, fortunate to have the opportunity to work with you. I appreciate all you do for us and our clients. And I, I really appreciate you joining me uh, on this episode. Well, thank you. I enjoyed talking with you and uh, look forward to some more conversations. Thank you. If any of you are interested in learning more about this episode or LSI, if you have uh, specific proposal requirements, you can reach us. There's a link in the episode notes. You can reach us at uh, social at lsiwins.com. And we look forward to working with you on capturing your requirements. Uh, thanks again, Alan, and look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you.